So do y'all do uh, like Christmas lists in your house? You know, things you know, like, you know, I've kind of given up on that. I've been asking Santa for Ferrari for years and I'm still waiting, you know. I mean, I get up there, go out and look on the driveway, nothing's there, you know, and all, and, and we do this thing, you know, in my family, we, we write, write lists and have done this for a long time, and <clears throat> I started kind of giving up because I'd write these lists, and I'd, I'd give them to Cindy, and I never got anything off the list. And I said, well, how come I, I write this list and I never get anything off of it? And Cindy says, well, you know, if I gave you something off the list, it wouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> so what I ought to do is write you a list of all the things I don't want. Because then I know I won't get those. I'll get anybody. But, you know, we've, we've done this for years in our, our family and our extended family and all that. And these days, most of the time, it's, it's more a matter of donations and stuff. Because, you know, frankly, we just have more stuff we know what to do with. But, but when the kids were little, you know, and they were, they were still at the age. And it was still at the time when we'd get those things that would come in the mail. Those catalogs, you know, from like Toys R Us and all those kind of places that are no longer around. Some of them. But we used to get those. And, and the kids would sit down with them and they'd go, ooh. And so they start going through them and all that. And, they, and they'd give us a list with, you know, like 85 things. And I'm really, I'm not exaggerating. It would be like four pages of stuff that they'd want. And we'd go, oh, I thank you all. Thank you. And then about a week later, we'd come back to them and we'd say, okay, so uh, y'all, y'all need to give us a Christmas list. Oh, okay. And they'd go and they'd make another list and they'd give it to us. And about a week later, we'd come back. Oh, you need to give us a Christmas list. Oh, okay. And they'd go and do it. And we'd do this like six weeks in a row with them. And they never remember they'd already done it, you know. So, you know, we do it like six weeks, and they go through all this stuff, and they'd come up with a whole. And, and then we'd sit down, and we'd take all those lists, and we would compare them. And the stuff that showed up, you know, like the top three things that showed up week after week after week, see, we go, oh, that's what we'll get them, because that's the stuff they really want, right? The things that are at the top of the list week after week after week, that's the stuff they really want. And so I, I, this morning, Jesus is going to talk about priority a little bit, and, and, and kind of the question is, you know, what is it, what, what really is the desire of your heart? What's the thing you really want? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your presence with us, and we ask your spirit to come and indwell our, our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Uh, let the words of my mouth and let the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, as my friends used to say, uh, goes from preaching to meddling. Uh, starts walking all over our toes and, and as he's speaking with his disciples. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Now, this is particularly offensive to Methodists when he talks about food, but that's a whole different story. But, but I mean, this whole thing about, you know, uh, you know don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and, and, and what you're going to wear and all that. And, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking... Right, right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, this is this is vacation time. People are traveling and going, and and what's the first thing that happens? You know, when we go on vacation, we start thinking about, well, where are we going to stay? What kind of accommodations are we going to be in? What do we need to pack? What kind of clothes do we need to take to be sure we have what we need? And and where are we going to eat while we're gone? And all those kinds of things, right? So that's what we do. Uh, 
you know, we're, we're, this is who we are. You know, we worry about all that stuff and, and what we're going to do. And, and some of you are already sitting there thinking about where you're going to go to lunch today, aren't you? Be honest. And you're going to have this conversation at the end of the service, right? Well, where do you want to go to lunch today? I don't know. Where do you want to go for lunch today? Well, I don't know. What were you thinking of? Well, I don't know. I was thinking of this. No, I don't want to go there. I want to go here and blah, 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 blah. And, and you're going to spend like 20 minutes deciding where to eat, aren't you? You, you, know, you, you, know, you know they have an app for that? I'm serious. You can get your phone on your phone. You get this app. You download on your phone. Load all your favorite restaurants into it. And then when you get ready to go to eat, you push the button, and it goes through like a, it's like a, a, a roulette wheel or something. It goes through, it and, and it picks the restaurant for you and tells you where you're going to go to eat. How bad are we? <laughs> well, I don't know. I've got so many choices. We can't make our mind up, so we're going to have to have our smartphone tell us, decide for us where we're going to go to eat. I mean, you know. I mean, boy, we're really hard up, aren't we? I mean, we got to have this. I mean, uh, really? Do we have a problem with eating, having enough to eat here in America? I don't think so. Or or clothing? Uh, Every time that we have ever gone and looked at a house, you know, my wife goes into the master bedroom and goes into the master closet. Oh, you know, if it's not like, you know, the size of a small bedroom, you know, she's going, oh, it's, it's not big enough to hold all our clothes. And I'm going, well, maybe we could, like, get rid of some of them right and she's going oh no can't do that can't oh no we need all those clothes and and when we move my daughter to college the first time we go to Oklahoma City and we're we're unloading stuff and I'm I'm unloading and I'm I'm keep unloading shoes and I I keep unloading shoes and I I keep unloading shoes I'm finally going what what what, there's like a hundred pairs of uh, literally there's like a hundred pairs of shoes here and she's going well dad I didn't bring all of them how many are there, right? I mean, you know, uh, it, it, what, how much do we need, really? Now, what, what, what is it? When you go through this and, and, and he's speaking to them, you know, obviously he wouldn't be saying this to us disciples if this wasn't an issue. And, and I love that. Can you, by worrying, add a single hour of, to your span of life? Y'all, y'all know we have an unnamed person in this congregation whose motto is, why pray when you can worry? I'm serious. So, I mean, J.D. comes to this, he says, you know, there's basically two types of people in the world. There, there's people who live from scarcity, and there's people who live from abundance. Scarcity people are always worried that tomorrow there's not going to be enough. And, and it's amazing to me that we have so many of those in the United States because, you know, here we are in, in one of the most affluent countries on the face of the earth. You know, we have, we have plenty of food, we have plenty of clothing, we have, you know, all this, I mean, we are, we are well-fed, we are well-clothed, we're well-housed, uh, you know, I mean, we have lots of everything, and, and yet we worry that we're not going to have enough. It, it's just kind of stunning because, because, you know, like two weeks ago, I'm in Kenya, and, and, and I go to the, the home of my sponsored child, and, and you know, they, they have, compared to us, you know, very, very little and, and we have a wonderful visit, and we get ready to leave, and, and, and somebody comes out and hands me two bunches of bananas, which is a lot, but then the kicker is they come out and they hand me a chicken, a live chicken. Now, now I know that sounds kind of weird to us, but you need to know that in Africa, when they hand you a live chicken, that's a major deal, because when they hand you the live chicken, what that means is for the next six months, we're not going to have eggs 
or, or for the next couple of weeks, we're not going to have meat because we're giving you our chicken. It, it, it's, an, it's a tremendous honor and a tremendous gift. And they come and they do that because they, they trust that, that God, God will provide for them again. God will replace that. And so they can let it go because God will provide them more. And it's fascinating to me that, that people who have so little can live with such abundance and people who have so much can be convinced we have so little. Convinced we have so little. John Wesley would write about this and he would say, what Jesus here condemns is the care of the heart, the anxious, uneasy care, the care that has torment, all such care as does hurt either to the soul or body. What he forbids is that care which sad experience shows wastes the blood and drinks up the spirits, which anticipates all the misery it fears and comes to torment us before the time. Jesus forbids only that care which poisons the blessings of today by fear of what may be tomorrow, which cannot enjoy the present plenty through apprehensions of future want. I think what an amazing description of where so many of us live. We live in constant fear and anxiety of what may happen tomorrow. And I hear it over and over and over and over again. Oh, the place is going to, you know, we're in a handbasket. How horrible things are. Oh, it's just terrible. Blah, 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 blah. And yet we live in this tremendous affluence. But we can't enjoy what we have because so we're so worried about what we might not have tomorrow. And Wesley correctly defines that as a sickness of the soul. This care is not only a sore disease, a, a grievous sickness of soul, but also a heinous offense against God, a sin of the deepest eye. It's a high affront to the gracious governor and wise disposer of all things, necessarily implying that the great judge does not do right, that God does not order all things well. It plainly implies that he is wanting either in wisdom, if he does not know what things we stand in need of, or in goodness, if he does not provide those things for all who put their trust in him. And when we live in that kind of abundance, when we live in that kind of worry, that kind of thing that knots us up and, and, and we're constantly worrying about our, our provisions, you know, whether we're going to have enough, what we're really saying to God is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to take care of me. I don't have confidence that you're going to provide for me. That's really what we're doing. And as the J.D. was working through this and talking about it, he points out, I mean, it's basically a lack of trust. We're saying to God, you know, you know we're going to come and we're going to say, yeah, well, oh, we love you and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is we don't really believe you're going to take care of us. We don't have any confidence in you. Jesus goes on, he says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
God knows you need all these things. So J.D. lists it down and he says, listen, you know, worry, worry erodes faith. Because when you're worrying, you're not trusting God. Worry destroys trust. It extinguishes peace and it leads to anxiety. It fosters a practical atheism. Where we come and we say, oh yes, God, we believe you. Yes, God, we believe that you love us and all that. But then we live as if it's not true. We go out and pretend that we trust God, but the truth of our living says, no, we don't. We don't think you're going to take care of us. It robs us of joy. It, it foments a scarcity mentality. It blinds us to our own abundance. It kills extravagance and compounds insecurity. It activates self-centeredness because we think we have to take care of it all. And it germinates sin. It squelches love. It focuses our attention on secondary issues. And it keeps us from the kingdom of God. Because if the kingdom is any place where, where the reign of God is recognized, any time where the reign of God is recognized. And what we're saying is, oh no, we don't really believe you're going to be, you're really here. We don't really believe you're going to take care of us. Then we've erected a barrier between ourselves and the kingdom. Instead of living in the kingdom where we trust God to really be in charge and we trust that God is really going to take care of things and God is really going to provide for us, we've said, oh, no, 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 I've got this. And we've decided instead of living in the kingdom of God, we're just going to live in our self-centered kingdom of me. And no wonder, no wonder we're so miserable. As Jesus preaches through this passage, he says, listen, <laughs> strive first, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, I've heard sermons done on this a number of times where it'll talk about, well, you know, first is you know, your priority first is God, and then, you know, second's like your family, and then third's your country, or I mean, this kind of thing. But that's really not what Jesus says, is it? This is what Jesus says is, your one priority is God. Your one priority is God. God will take care of the rest of it. You worry about this, God will take care of the rest of it. You make God your priority, and, and, and living into the righteousness of God your priority, and, and, and don't worry about the rest of it. God's got it. Trust that, that, that God has it. That the God who's with you today and is, is sustaining you for today is going to be the same God who's going to be with you tomorrow and sustain you for tomorrow and the same God who's going to be with you the day after tomorrow and sustain you for that and for months to come and years to come and in the eternity to come. You don't need a whole list of priorities. You just need to have this one priority. And trust that God will take care of the rest. Now, Jesus does something really interesting in this sermon because he, he's been talking to this point up about trusting God with our, our physical provision. And, and then he's going to move in and he's going to start talking about spiritual provision. Don't judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. When do you, when, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? 
you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Now, I'm going back to that thing my grandmother used to do, right? You know, one finger pointing towards other people and realizing you got three fingers pointing back at yourself. You know, most of the time when we see things in other people and we're going, uh, the problem's really not with them, the problem's really with us. And I have to confess that, that I, have a little, I have a little problem when I read through this. Every time I read through this passage, I, I have a little trouble because uh, when I was a freshman in college, I was uh, in an industrial accident at the place I worked, and I had a bunch of fiberglass uh, blown into my face. And, and I can remember sitting in the ER while they were picking it out of my eye. And, uh, and so, you know, every time I read this, you know, it's kind of like the hair on the back of my neck stands up and I'm kind of getting the creepies. Uh, but a little, little PTSD kind of going on there. But, but, but the reality is that what he's trying to get at here is, you know, you know stop, stop worrying about them and, and look at yourself. Stop worrying about them and look at yourself. Don't judge them, but, but be honest with yourself. Because the truth of the matter is most of the time when we're judging other people, we're doing that out of our insecurity and our lack of confidence in God's love for us. I mean, when we, when we judge other people, I, I, I judge them because I want to affirm myself for the superiority of my mediocrity. I love that. You know, I may not be so hot, but I'm better than you, right? You know, you, you hear that? I don't know that I trust God to love me that much, but I'm still better than you are. It's a way of lifting ourselves up. I judge other people because it enables me to condemn what I dislike about myself in others. I judge other people because I desperately need to believe that I am somehow better than other people. I judge other people because it's easier to compare myself to the faults I find in others than it is to aspire to the greatness I see in them. Hmm. I judge other people as a way of protecting myself because I'm unwilling to become vulnerable about my own life. I judge other people because somehow by putting others down, I think I am lifting myself up. You know, we may be all on the down escalator, but you're going first, right? I judge other people because I'm deceived about the truth of myself. I judge others because it's easier than honestly evaluating myself. You know, if I don't really trust that God loves and cherishes and treasures me, then I've got to find some way of making myself feel better. And, and, and it's kind of like, you know, when, when someone's drowning and, and another person goes out to help them, the first thing the drowning person does is they try to climb on top of that person to get themselves out of the water. So, you know, if, if I don't really trust that God loves me and cherishes me, then, then maybe if I climb on top of you and put you down, maybe somehow or another that lifts me up. But what it, what it really reflects, what it really reflects is a lack of trust in God, in God's love. You know, when our uh, kids were little, you may have had to do this too, probably. Uh, you know, we get down to Christmas, you know, we always, we always had to kind of like, Make sure and count, make sure we had the same number of gifts for each of them, right? Because, you know, heaven forbid that one should get more gifts than the other. Well, you, you like them better than me. You know, that kind of thing you get going on. And, and then when they got a little older, you know, a little more sophisticated, you had to be careful about the value of the gifts, right? Because you don't want to buy one a gift that's $20 and this one's got a gift that's $10 and they go, hey, 
how come he got something better than me or how come she got something better than me you know you wanted to you know so you had to really and sometimes we even had to be careful about orchestrating the order in which they were opened so that you know you didn't get one of them opening something expensive and the other one's opening something not so expensive you know you want to kind of keep them together right Y'all remember doing all this when you're kid? Yeah, you, I mean, you go through all that kind of game with your and make, because, because you know, you know, if you don't really trust that you're loved as much as the other person, those things are important. And if we don't really trust that God loves us, we start to kind of do that, don't we, as adults? Well, God, you like them better than me, or they got something I should have had, or why don't I have this, or why don't I have that? And we begin to to doubt God's love and care for us. And then, then we end up in that place of comparing and judging. There's no station in life, nor any period of time from the hour of our first repenting and believing the gospel till we're made perfect in love, wherein this caution is not needful for every child of God, for occasions of judging can never be wanting. They're always there. And the temptations to it are innumerable. Many whereof are so artfully disguised that we fall into the sin before we suspect any danger. Oh, I'm not judging you. I'm just pointing out that you're not as good as me. Right? It's so easy for us to go in that place. So what a wonderful thing it was then when my kids got a little older. And, and they got to the point where they could you know, open their gifts and all that and just receive them as a gift of love. They didn't have to compare themselves with each other, but they'd grown up enough that they could just get whatever it was and accept that as a gift of love. And how wonderful it would be if, if we as the body of Christ would grow up enough where we could just accept that God loves us and stop comparing and judging ourselves against each other. What a wonderful place to be. So years ago, on one of my um, Chrysalis events that I did, Chrysalis is the high school uh, version of an Emmaus walk. We had a young lady that was doing a talk about priorities. And she was talking about that, that, you know, you make your priorities, you know, you get your paper out and you start making your list, you know, of, of what's important and, and the order of importance of all of them. And she says, I want to make a suggestion to you. That God is just not just another thing to put on your list of priorities. But rather that, that God is the page on which all the other important things in your life are written. And you know how sometimes when you have a pen and won't write on a certain piece of paper? You know, if you're trying to write something on that page and won't write, maybe that's God telling you that that's not something that needs to be in your life. But God's not just another priority. God's the, the very base of everything that's important in your life. Strive first for the kingdom and God's righteousness. Let that be the priority. Trust God will provide everything else. And you might find yourself living in the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of me. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we come and we confess that 
that sometimes we are here and we mouth the words and we say the things, but in truth, when we go out to live, we don't really trust your providence for us. We don't trust that you'll provide the things we need. We don't trust your love for us. And we live in this graspy and greeting state where we are constantly worried that there will not be enough of what we need and that there will not be enough of your love. And so we ask you to come this morning and, and, and crack the hardness of our hearts. Remind us that your love for us is so powerful that even while we were, even while we are sinners, that you offered yourself on the cross for us. Fill us with that love to the point that we can live in confidence and we can live in trust that you love us, that you cherish us, that you will provide for us. Not just for this moment, not just for this day, but for all of eternity. Let us move from this place of worry and anxiety and fear into a place of living in your kingdom where we know the power and the blessing of your great love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.